told Fred coming in. <laughs> Welcome back. It's me, Matt Tinney, and Jen Earhart. And you guys are listening to the podcast. Woo! <laughs> and Jen is having fun saying that it sounds like it's a winter warning in the microphone. Well, I made a really sick burn, and I said, careful, cold front coming in. <laughs> oh, this is forever going to be in the internet world. Yeah, I'm going to be internet famous. Podcast yeah. famous. Someone That's is, my goal, really. Is to become podcast, podcast famous? Yeah, because I think... Famous? Well, for me, let's look at what is a realistic goal. They talk yeah. about making smart goals. <laughs> Which I do me. not. Okay, what's a smart goal? A smart goal is specific, measurable. Oh, what's the next one? What is A? Oh, you're, this is an acronym. No, this is an acronym. Have you not learned this? Uh, no, they, I did not learn this. They teach this anyway. all the time in like uh, non Um The man. Um, no, but so the man came in and said, listen here. You can Google smart goals and the, like, the acronym will come up. But and, anywho... I think if we're looking at me, my lifestyle, what I've achieved so far, I think probably setting a realistic goal of how I would be famous would be through a podcast. I think you are famous through a podcast, Jen. It depends on what you define as being famous. That's all, yeah, what do you define? What would be your definition of famous? Um, I don't know, like a celebrity. Well, what's your definition of celebrity? Well, I just... Oh my gosh, this is a hard question. I mean? Yeah, it kind of well, is. Well, you just like, have to be... Because like, I feel like a lot of times when you think of... When I hear the term celebrity, I think of like mega celebrities. Yeah, exactly. Is that but, what you're thinking? Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't be comparing myself. <laughs> wow. To so it's going to be Jen, well, Kim Kardashian. Yeah. But like, I don't even Beyonce. know who are like famous podcasters. Well, I guess I know some people. Who would be a famous podcaster? <laughs> um, Like... The ladies from My Favorite Murder. Who's your favorite murder? No, that's the name of the podcast. It's like, that's an interesting. The only ladies in murder I can think of is the Manson family. That's not too fun, Jen. No, it's a, that's a really popular podcast. Called My Favorite Murder? Mm-hmm. There's Criminal. That would just remind me of that podcast. Yeah, so it's like Criminal. Or what's the other one? The one that I was really into that NPR did. Well, about the... must have been really impactful for you to remember <laughs> how well you were into it. You caught me at the end of the day on a Friday, okay? <laughs> this is as best I can do. Are you ready for your SMART goals? Is this it? Yeah. Specific, measurable, attainable, attainable, relevant, and time-oriented. I don't know if me becoming a podcast superstar is relevant, but I think the rest match. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how one would become a podcast superstar. I think we need to, like, I don't know. I don't know how you become. You have to have like just something that's more enjoyable to listen to than what we're currently <laughs> doing. Start there. Wow, we're sending out information. Yeah, Constant. I mean, we're fonts of knowledge. We have just tons of knowledge that we're disseminating for free to people. I know, like who it's wouldn't amazing. want to listen to this? Maybe not us talking, but I think they I bet, like the didactics. Know, how many people listen to this podcast and skip through us talking and go straight to didactic? It would be curious. I'm gonna have to look at some of the, the data to see if they have that. Oh, can you look at that? There, there's some of the platforms. Like I think Stitcher shows me how long an episode's listened to. Mm-hmm. And so if it's someone's like one minute in, they cancel it. It's <laughs> us. <laughs> we know then. Okay, this episode was us. Yeah, that's very big brothery. That's kind of strange, huh? Yeah, so I can do that sort of like those sort of researching tools on on my email listserv that I have. Like I can tell what 
like links people are clicking on and which Wait, link really? they go to first. Yeah. Does it tell you how long that they had an no, email open? But it tells me who. So you check Brother. to see do you check to see if I read your emails? No, I check to see who clicks on links. Because that's more used so I don't know, they usually hover like we have a good open rate for an email listserv. What does that mean? Like, a lot of people... Oh, that they open. Yeah. So you're like, I wonder if Amy Cook's actually clicking these links. I'm going to check on Amy right Amy, now. Amy, are you out there? <laughs> I'm searching for you. Have you been monitoring Amy? No, I haven't been. Amy's probably listening to this, driving right now, <laughs> freaking out, and I hope you didn't just crash your car, Amy. Are we allowed to use people's names on podcasts without their permission? Is that a cool... Do you think that I actually go back and edit these things? <laughs> no. If you think that happens, then it doesn't. Oh, okay. There's no magical editing that, from Matt on this. <laughs> I hope she... Well, this will be a test for Amy. Amy, if you listen to this, send me an email and let us know you got this podcast. That, that you're safe and you did not crash your car. <laughs> right. Um, no. So I, cl- I try to see who's opening links because I want to know if people are opening like information we disseminate out. Like um, if we send out stuff about certificates of evaluation. Right. Like are people clicking on those PDFs? Are they clicking on things about NAMI or, you know, just like what's what people like to click on so that we know we can try to get more of that information out. Um, also, if they're opening flyers, are the flyers being used or, you know, could we spend time promoting in a different way? That sort of thing. Interesting. I'm always thinking. Come on. That's a little. Uh, I didn't realize Big how much brother. people can pull from an email. Yeah. Hello. Twenty eighteen. Oh, hi, 2018. Hello, 2018 here. <laughs> Could you handwrite me a letter? <laughs> I, I honestly didn't know that. I, yeah. That really is kind of creepy. I know, right? How many places at work do you think, if someone at, like, we get tons of just city emails if that you, I won't lie, I might delete oh, every now and then. Oh, anytime I get an email from our city, I immediately delete it. So they're probably checking, like, let's see who. They're like, who's this Jen Earhart that yeah. never opens her emails? Yep. She's on our like flagged list. I did not realize how big brother you're getting with email. So any, if you're on any listserv, if you sign up for anything like out at the mall, I don't know what you do in your free time, Matt. But if you're at when I'm at the mall, Bath and Body Works, buying candles for or your bathtub, bath yeah, um, and you sign up to be on their listserv, I'm. You know, I, I they can pull data from that. It's all it's marketing research data. Just because you say it's research makes it okay. <laughs> yeah, like well, it's research, so it's, it's okay, okay that it's I'm research. looking into your email. But we habits. don't have like you know, there's no like nothing else that comes from that though. On our on our end, I don't know what Bath and Body Works is doing with your information, but I think they're watching me through my computer. Probably. Have you seen anyone that tapes up their cameras on their computers or their phones? Um, I haven't seen it, but I know that's a big thing. People they do. They tell it. you to do that now. Who is they? Um, the Today Show. <laughs> <laughs> they I'm didn't a, tell you this on the Today I, Show? Listen, I watched... Did they seriously? Yes. I watch the Today Show occasionally. And by occasionally, I mean Monday through Friday from 7 to 7.30 a.m. Okay. Mountain 10. Um, it's very occasional. It's, I have it on while I'm like, you know, getting ready or whatever. And they did a whole piece on how um, hackers can log into people's personal computers and turn their cameras on and just... So I think it's not an issue if you just like... If you're not using, you know, your, say for instance, my laptop, it has a camera on right. it. And I always keep my laptop closed. I'm not like... But when you're on it. in front of my... Yeah, I always have clothes on and I'm like... Oh. <laughs> no, no, but when you're on your laptop, do you feel the need 
to then hide your camera. No, I mean, if you want to see my face, you want to see my face. You're okay with that? Do you ever yeah, now good. and then like pause and just like Do wave you know in many, case someone's <laughs> watching you? Do you know how many cameras I'm probably on every single day of my life just by stepping outside? Like, I guess I that's true. Like, you saw the Real Time Crime Center. The bridge. The bridge. That is some serious big brother yeah, level stuff. It was surprising. When you mentioned all the cameras, that's when I was like, yeah. They can essentially. cameras everywhere. They're just like pick an intersection. They yeah. were so fancy. I'm sure they were really proud to show it off. Pick an intersection, any intersection. You should have just picked one. a random one. Like, I should have picked that one. Not that yeah. one. I wanted to pick the most random one, but I'm still like so bad with my Albuquerque streets right. and intersections. I was like, Sh- shoot. Excuse yeah. me. I said, shoot. You know. <laughs> and so I just named, I don't even know what I, they just ended up pulling up one. Yeah. They put me on the spot there, but. I'm sorry that you felt that way. It was really interesting to see. I mean, it's an entire room yeah. and a wall, floor to ceiling with It seems uh, like Hollywood, screens. doesn't it? Yeah, I, did, I honestly thought that was like something you see in movies, and then you see it in real life, and you're like, holy cow. I feel like they really pushed to make that look Hollywoodized. Oh, do you think like... Do you think they have to have a black-lighted hallway to Oh, yeah, there? they do. That was a little dramatic. Right. Yeah. You think that just naturally when people put fluorescence in, it just happens to be black lights? We have to order normal yeah, light fluorescence? There's some interesting decorating <laughs> yeah. choices made there, but it does look cool. So it looks cool. Can you blame them? Are you upset that we don't have giant TV screens everywhere? I mean, office? I think if we did, it would probably just... It wouldn't be used in the right way. Does that mean? I think people just watch movies on it. Like the office that we're next to? Like the office that we're next to, yeah. Which we will not mention, but they happen to have a large TV that they just watch movies in? Yeah. I mean, I don't know, it looked pretty cool. But like, I don't know that we need to see what's going on at every intersection in our city for our jobs. No. But it makes you feel like, I don't know, Secret Service style, like... Especially for me as a civilian. I can't tell you how many people I told that story to afterwards. About was, seeing the bridge? I was like, you guys, there's this thing in APD. It's called the bridge. That's it. Like, why do you have the name of that? Oh, I don't know. It's like, but you know. They what does that, that even mean? Too? The bridge. And you remember I asked, like, how many people here? Only a few have keys to the castle. <laughs> I'm like, really? Welcome to the bridge, Jen. Yeah. They Pick an intersection. That's not how I did it. But that's how they did it. Yeah. Like, this is a photo of you. Mm-hmm. Like, wait, right? how, how did you get that? We follow you to work. <laughs> like, oh my God. It's creepy. There's a camera. No, there's not a camera where we work. There's I mean, cameras no, in no, here. No, he's, well, uh, the director was like, there's not a camera at the fac. Bathroom. Because <laughs> I was saying, I was trying to pinpoint him that even... he's filming everywhere. And I said the bathroom. And he said, there's not a camera at the fac. Bathroom. <laughs> I thought he was talking about outside because I was like, wow, there really should be a camera. No, there's cameras outside. Oh, okay. And cool. there's cameras inside. Oh, there's cameras everywhere inside. There's yeah. actually, there's a camera right outside the bathroom. It's a little strange, right? It, it bothers me that every time I go to the bathroom, the person at the front desk knows. You don't wave to them? I've thought about like doing like something weird one day, like this. You should. <laughs> Just Somebody. to see if anyone... <laughs> I like how you say this, like people can see. They know. <laughs> they know you just did the weird monkey wave Anyone that hears my voice knows my go-to <laughs> dance move. Very Do you ever specific. just look at the camera and give like a number one or a number two so they know like <laughs> how long to expect you to be gone? I should have done that when our old receptionist was there, but now we have a new receptionist. He, right? Yeah. I think he's here on injury, but oh, I think okay. he would be Sorry. a little... Uh, he was like, what's happening with this woman? Yeah, I don't want to do what that with a complete stranger, but that's... That sounds fun. You don't ever just randomly... I sometimes randomly just wave at cameras, just 
like someone's probably watching this. Mm-hmm. They might see me and be like, "What's? How does that guy know I'm watching?" Right. Just to screw with them. Yeah. I'm sure there's other people doing that too, not just you. Though. Well, I want to see these people. Yeah. I want them to wave when I'm looking at a camera, and I could be like, "I just made contact with somebody mm-hmm. through mind control." Mm-hmm. Is that weird? Mm. Mm. For you, no. That's hurtful, Jen. That hurts. <laughs> That hurts. I'm just kidding. What was I the most surprising thing about the Real Time Crime Center? Um, I think the way it looked. I was so taken aback by like... Okay, so working for the city, we don't always have the nicest, newest equipment. And sometimes <laughs> it can be hard to get a simple thing. Right. Um, some of, for example, my uh, new desk took about six months to get which is fine i got it so i'm happy i'm not complaining um but when you walk into the real-time crime center you're like oh this is where all the money's going it It looks so modern yeah all this insane equipment in there that's what like kind of struck me i guess yeah the whole it is a it's a very overwhelming yeah just the look of it too it's honestly it's something out of a movie did you notice the green room that's right before yeah okay i didn't notice i was like yeah you don't find it weird that a police department has a green room, a studio, randomly inside I just of it? assume that don't all police departments have like a TV station that they get? How do they get out? Do they get out information? Sometimes some just of them us? use like this uh, thing called talking, and so they actually like meet with people face to face, like employees, and they're like, "Hey, this is what's going on." It's so strange. Mm-hmm. They don't. That's have so to, like, like 1996. Yeah. <laughs> No, I don't think many of them have in really? service. Yeah. I just like when I came here, I just was like, huh, you know, I guess this is just another thing law enforcement does. No. With our own TV channel. No, it's not like homeroom. We roll out a TV. Yeah. <laughs> hey, everybody, let's watch this. No. I never watch our, I don't even know what they're called. There's like a daily TV yeah. program that we have. I've never, I've watched, I think, one, and it was the time that we got Team of the Month, and I was like, I wanted to see. Yeah. It's It's hard to. I don't know how they get that information out. They seem kind of like, like they'd be a little boring. I, I mean, it has good information, but it's yeah. hard to dedicate the time to. They're literally like two minutes. They're not two minutes. Okay, maybe five. Yeah. Yeah, I That's think you have five minutes. I, I don't know about that. Okay. You to bring you shorten one year bathroom <laughs> breaks. You have to. You have to be on the blue line. You can't just get on normal internet. Yeah, I don't know. That's the other thing. One of the reasons yeah. I don't watch them is that, like, I tried to watch it. I was like, we need your password. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I just stopped trying. <laughs> it was like one step uh, and I gave up. See? I'm such a millennial. But that's what I'm saying. Right? I don't think anyone's going to be be watching it like that. Yeah. Well, well anyway. That was it. I don't Jen even... does not like the TV. What were the we internal talking TV. about? I have Did no I answer clue your first started. question? It was I about don't. the bridge. Uh-huh. The bridge. I thought there was and RTCC. Big Did we talk watching. about Jeff Swanson? <laughs> Did that happen? No, Jeff Swanson's coming. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that was the He's main point March of doing 3rd. the podcast, right? He's coming like March sixth, I think, <laughs> or the fourth. Oh my god, I don't know. All right. When do you think it is? What is I'm Jeff Swanson g- coming I, on? I feel like I said March sixth, and I'm going to go with March sixth. I just said March 6th, and you laughed at me saying it was the 4th. Wait, what? Oh, no, I'm getting confused. <laughs> yeah, because it's March 6th. Did you say March 6th? Yeah. I, You know what? Well, you I know don't what? listen to these podcasts, but as soon as this post, I'm going to go back and see and what see you... who was yeah. right. I am too, actually. <laughs> Uh-oh. But yeah, Jeff Swanson will be on uh, CAT Echo March 6th. 
It's a Tuesday at one thirty to 3 Mountain Standard Time. Yeah. It's going to be a really exciting presentation. Yeah, it's open to everybody. Really looking forward to it. There's a flyer on our... There will be a flyer on our website. There is a flyer on the website. Is There's there one a flyer on, on Facebook, Facebook already. Awesome. It's all out there. Check it out. Yeah. If you guys are come. interested, send Jen an email at... J-E-A-R-H-E-R-T at C-A-B-Q.gov. And if you guys are listening, please uh, enjoy the didactic that's coming up. That's part of the CIT Echo. And I hope you reach out to us, Amy. <laughs> Amy. Amy. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> In this unit, our specialty is post-traumatic stress disorder, as well as comorbid um, or co-occurring substance use disorder, primarily alcohol, but other drugs as well. Unfortunately, we've been seeing a lot of methamphetamine lately and things like that. So I've been there for about a year, but I've trained in the VA uh, since about 2003, so I'm familiar with it. Been there a while. And... Uh, this is a new format for me, so this will be very, very informal. And what I'm planning on doing in just the short time that we have together is give just a, a little overview about PTSD, uh, some of the things that come up frequently when I do trainings with uh, law enforcement or other non-behavioral health professionals. Maybe do a little bit of myth-busting because there's a lot of misinformation about PTSD. And end with some key points to help you, hopefully, as you perform your duties. And then also points about taking care of yourself as you're subject to all the things that we'll talk about here today. I will um, go through kind of three chunks of information and pause after each chunk in case there are questions. And then we'll have time for questions at the end. Is there anything before we get started? Or? No. Are we good? Okay. So the first thing is, if there is no trauma, there's no PTSD. So what does that mean? What does that mean when we talk about trauma? So uh, frequently I hear from law enforcement officers that everybody claims to have PTSD or talks about trauma, and it's certainly true that when people have unpleasant experiences all the way to traumatic experiences, there is some reaction. There's some reaction. Most of it, most of the time, is a normal reaction. So I'm going to ask you to start thinking about in your heads what would be a normal reaction to something uh, mildly unpleasant or even largely unpleasant all the way to something really traumatic. And the way to think about trauma for the purposes of our discussion today is something that goes way above and beyond something that's just merely unpleasant, but something where there is a threat. So either to a person's physical integrity, something that they've witnessed, something that they've directly experienced, or um, also particularly to keep in mind for first responders, as well as veterans and things like that, is it can be one event that's sort of a shocking where people are killed or people are injured, something that someone has no control over it can be a singular event, or it can also be just cumulative, a buildup over the years of seeing lots of trauma and strife and things like that. One thing that I do want to emphasize is this is not new. Okay, none of this is new. We think about PTSD and it's very sort of hot, um, 
in vogue or um, sort of sexy diagnosis right now that everybody's talking about, but this is not new at all. If you look at kind of ancient texts, if you look at the Bible, if you've ever read Homer's, the Iliad, those things that we talk about, some of the symptoms are present. Okay. Anytime, essentially, since there's been human beings, human beings, there's been trauma, things happening to human beings, and people having a reaction to them. So certainly there are trauma reactions um, prior to the term post-traumatic stress disorder or post-traumatic injury, some people say. Um, we had terms like soldier's heart, okay, if you think about like the combat veterans. Um, also uh, kind of like railway things associated with the railway where people were having these injuries as they were building the railroads across the United States and things like that. And then, of course, in Vietnam, most people are familiar with the term shell shock. So it's really about this extreme kind of reaction, or at least formally thought of as really extreme reaction to trauma. Okay, so... Um, one of the things I think I mentioned before that I get asked pretty frequently is, does everybody have PTSD? It seems like a made-up thing. We've already gone over some of the history. Uh, so what do people think in the room? People have it. Does it exist? Are people out in online land? Uh, Lawrence Savage with APD. I believe that it is the most overdiagnosed and also the most underdiagnosed diagnosis that they have. People that have it don't get treatment or get diagnosed with it, and other people use it as a... Yeah, I would agree, and I'm still sort of negotiating the pauses here, so Matt's going to help me if other questions come in. I completely agree. I would say it's both overdiagnosed or people, uh, especially who have a very kind of broad definition of trauma, it's overdiagnosed. People often fall back on the diagnosis. Now you can look up anything on the internet, diagnose yourself, um, come in and say, hey, this is what I have. So it's overdiagnosed, and I completely agree it's underdiagnosed. So some people who actually have the symptoms and the syndrome that we talk about, it, they go without treatment. They don't know what's happening to them, and they do go without treatment. So I would agree. We tend to have the stereotype or at least the schema or the idea in our heads that who suffers from PTSD is a young male combat vet. Or as that person aged, an older male combat vet, if you think of like the World War II generation, you know, where grandpa or dad had to take some time for himself or he was in one of his spells. And that certainly is true. And it's also true that PTSD the, the syndrome that we refer to as PTSD can occur in any demographic. So it happens in adults, it occurs in children, um, men and women. So one of the things I encourage you from this talk is to uh, broaden that sort of idea of who suffers from PTSD. So while it sometimes feels like everybody has diagnosed themselves with PTSD or has that diagnosis, it's really only about roughly 8% of the U.S. population. Um, females or women are diagnosed uh, at higher rates than men. So usually about 8 to 10% of females and about 4 to 5% of men. And so one of the myths that I hear a lot is, okay, we know exactly why some people develop PTSD and some people don't. That is 100% a myth. 
we have ideas about what factors in, uh, things that are present before the trauma, during the trauma, and then after the trauma. But I, I say this pretty frequently. If anybody tells you we know exactly why someone develops PTSD and someone doesn't, I'd be very highly skeptical of the rest of the things that they have to say. Okay. Um, so certainly the amount of trauma one person experiences, uh, how often it happens, and then what happens to them afterwards? Okay, we'll talk a little bit more about that down the line. Um, men versus women. Again, women diagnose more frequently than men. And I'd like you to think about why that might be. Okay. So another myth is that only people who are quote-unquote weak get diagnosed with PTSD. So the people who can't hack it, the people who should find, you know, occupations where they're sort of um, sensitive and coddled and not experiencing any of those things. Again, 100% a myth, okay? There are people more susceptible to PTSD than others, but I encourage you to think about, um, we all know that person who smokes for 80 years, you know, three packs a day, and they die peacefully in their sleep with no ill health effects. We also know that one person that maybe has never smoked a day in their life, and they get lung cancer and die at the age of 52. Okay. We don't know exactly why that happens, and the same is true with PTSD. But it certainly is not due to some sort of weakness or character flaw. Nobody really does anything that um, makes them deserve PTSD or anything like that. Okay, so what I'm going to do then is pause and see if anybody has any questions or comments, anything that you agree with, don't agree with, or anything I can clarify. I kind of have a question. It's a little bit off the subject. This is Neil. <laughs> just the time you were talking about the history of PTSD, because I was just reading about the Salem witch trials and how mm. they hang all these women. Right. But it, they didn't all have PTSD in that town, I would assume. I mean, can you comment on that? I mean, it was a much more violent world. 50, 100 years ago, did everybody just walk around with PTSD or did they have a different relationship? That's a really good question. And so you're actually really on point with that in that despite the 24-hour news channels and all the things that are so readily accessible um, to us about how horrible the world is and how violent the world is now, there is a ton of evidence <clears throat> Excuse me, that it's actually less violent and people are moving towards less violent means of interacting with each other. And so there are a lot of theories about that. One theory is that people walked around with undiagnosed PTSD really struggling, but everybody just, it was the norm, so people just dealt with it. So there's something called a detection bias, which is now we're more educated about it. We know what some of the symptoms look like, feel like, taste like, smell like, all of those things. And so people are noticing it more. So that's one theory. The other is just, and you know, take this with a grain of salt, given what I just said about weakness. Um, there is some evidence, if you want to call it that, or some theories, that we're in a time right now where, particularly in the Western world, where we have a lot of conveniences, where um, things just aren't as tough for most people as they used to be and would have been back during most of human history, um, where we don't handle things as well <laughs> as we 
would have, or as our ancestors did, or even a couple of generations prior, uh, just because we've gotten used to things um, being relatively comfortable compared to how we've been in human history. So there's some evidence of that. Um, to tie it back specifically to um, like rates of PTSD and things that we're seeing, like many other diagnoses, that the rates of diagnosis are going up. If you look at like uh, comparing wars and soldiers, both men and women in wars, you'll see higher rates, very high rates of um, PTSD with Vietnam veterans. Okay, higher than in World War II, which I think represents a detection bias and just how the symptoms manifest. You know, that generation just was not vocal about their pain and about their suffering and things like that. And then looking at Gulf War and then now um, Operation Enduring Freedom, Iraqi Freedom, and New Dawn, which is just endless sort of combat deployments and things like that, even though combat's deployments are over, right? Um, we're seeing higher rates than we saw uh, less than Vietnam, but higher than we saw with other wars. So I think all of that factors in expectations, um, different contexts and things like that, and certainly um, the detection bias. So good. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, and I'm being mindful of the time, about some, what it, actually the symptoms are. So my guess is you can probably intuit a lot of these. You may have seen them or experienced them yourself. And again, I want to hammer that message of nothing that we talk about today is alien to you. Okay, it's, you're, We're all subject to those sorts of things, particularly if you work in law enforcement or any job um, at hospitals or things like that where you see sort of um, the best and the worst of what people have to offer each other. So if you have this sort of uh, trauma where someone's life's at risk, something that you have complete uh, helplessness in, and that's one of the characteristics of PTSD is just this overwhelming sense of helplessness and not ever wanting to feel that way again. So people do really, really extreme things at times to avoid being helpless. Okay? You can imagine some of the reactions that people have both during that trauma and then afterwards. So um, things like, again, that helplessness, which I'll say um, a note about first responders with that one. Sometimes that's not immediately present, if at all. Um, you know, uh, police, firefighters, other first responders trained to sort of act very quickly. So sometimes that helplessness is not immediately there, but can build up over time. So the helplessness, the horror, the shock, a lot of things that happen are just simply shocking to the system for people. Uh, you can imagine sort of the big things. So things like, um, you know, uh, if you think about Hurricane Katrina, like huge natural disasters, fires, things that are big like that, but also kind of the everyday, you know, horrible car wreck or um, things that happen more regularly in like a big Hurricane Katrina. So there's those types of things. And then there's also some of the stuff we've talked about, which is the interpersonal violence, including big examples like war, combat, um, strife around that, terrorism, certainly. And then again, sort of the everyday um, two guys beat the crap out of each other or um, a parent beats the crap out of their kid or something like that happens. We do tend to see higher rates of PTSD with the latter category. So that interpersonal 
violence. There's something that's additionally shocking or very, very difficult to deal with about a human being doing something to another human being. That's very difficult for us as human beings to sort of process versus like a natural disaster or something like that. But PTSD can happen from all of those. Um, so four symptom clusters to think about, reliving. So I think the officers that I've worked with and the veterans that I've worked with put it best. It's when it won't turn off, okay? When you're long out of the trauma, okay, and you're trying to recover, but the trauma will not leave you. So it keeps coming back and back and back to you through memories while you're awake, nightmares and things like that while you're asleep, um, lots of intrusive thoughts, um, you know, smells or all sorts of things. Here's where it would enter something like a flashback, okay, which is when your brain essentially um, goes back into a trauma response. It's like re actually reliving um, the trauma. An example I'll give you with that with some of the vets that I work with is many of them have been on convoys and things like that where um, seeing people explode from something looking really benign in the road, like a paper bag or a bag of rice or something they can't tell what it is till they're right up on it, and then it will explode. Um, I've had veterans, worked with veterans who've run people off the road, who've crashed their cars, um, so the VAs over on Gibson and San Mateo, run up the curb and things like that because there's been trash in the road and in that moment they're just reacting not to being on San Mateo and Gibson but being back on the road to Fallujah or Tiki Ramadi or wherever they are their brain goes back to that in that instant and they react so that certainly can happen that's the reliving where it just simply will not turn off and so being the logical beings that we are uh, when you have that happening, when you feel triggered by reminders, so think about all the memories that you have, um, places associated with both pleasant things and unpleasant things. Um, an example would be, think about the last time you had food poisoning. You probably remember where that was, <laughs> what you ate, and when you think about that, you don't want to go there again. <laughs> okay. You can sort of feel it in your stomach, you know, you might get a headache, you will have some sort of reaction. So that is certainly the case even more so with PTSD. Any sort of reminder, or we call them triggers, can trigger both um, a thinking, a change in your body, anxiety is a big piece of it, anxiety and fear. All of those things, just like what happens when you think about where you're food poisoned, people want none of it. They want this to go away. So you have to avoid. You want to avoid feel any feeling that doesn't feel good. Certainly the helplessness, fear, um, anxiety, you just want none of it. So you have to avoid. Avoid things that remind you of it. Avoid feelings, all of those things. So you can physically avoid things and your world becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. How do you avoid um, internal things? How do you avoid your own thoughts? How do you avoid your own feelings? Well, you can drink. You can uh, use drugs, you can fight with people, you can do all sorts of things to avoid those really unpleasant feelings. In order to do that, so here's the next symptom cluster, which is sort of this hyper arousal where you are always kind of keyed up, always looking to avoid a threat, avoid a trigger, anything that might remind you or anything that might hurt you. So PTSD will say the world is dangerous. People are dangerous without exception. So you're essentially looking for how do I get the threat before the threat gets me.
Okay, so you're not sleeping well, your appetite might be disturbed. All of those things come with PTSD. You're certainly not the life of the party, wanting to be in crowds or wanting to be around people. Sometimes it's very difficult for people to experience positive emotions because they are really in the habit or um, intentionally shutting down the negative ones and it shuts down all the emotions. So very, very difficult to be in relationships and maintain your previous functioning. So with all of that, you can think about the last symptom cluster with all of that happening as a mood disturbance and really a, a disturbance in your thinking. So again, uh, you might find you're not, you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're always keyed up, your nervous system is always on edge looking for the threat. So you're not going to concentrate as well, even though you might feel like you are. You're not being able to pay attention to things as well. Okay. And your mood is often irritable and angry or sad. Very, very difficult for people. Okay. So this is totally a crash course in this, but I'll pause in case anybody has any thoughts or comments, and then we'll wrap up with sort of some strategies on um, identifying this and people that you interact with and how to take care of yourself. Any questions from the network? And don't forget to unmute before you guys ask. This way at U.S. probation, um, you had mentioned those with PTSD may drink quite a bit. What yeah. kind of effects will that have in terms of compounding issues with medication and things like that? That is an excellent, excellent question. And so it rarely is positive, rarely if ever. So the nasty thing about drugs and alcohol is they make you feel better immediately or almost immediately by shutting down or numbing out, right? But it's always temporary. And what's left is generally um, feeling more depressed, more keyed up, and obviously you build up tolerance to whatever drug and alcohol you're using. When you combine medication with that, which most people who are diagnosed and seeing somebody um, even once and certainly on any regular basis are taking medications, anywhere from um, antipsychotics to antidepressants, all sorts of uh, ranges, benzodiazepines, so that's the Valium, the Xanax, all of those things, uh, in addition to sometimes pain medications, so um, hydrocodone, oxycodone, all of those things can be lethal when mixed together, which we see um, higher rates in New Mexico than we do in some other places. And what can also happen is particularly with the anti-anxieties, sometimes you can put that with somebody who's using drugs and alcohol or sometimes even with their, when they're not, and it has what's called a paradoxical effect where it can actually, instead of making anxiety better, it can actually make it worse. And people get more keyed up, more anxious, more hyper-aroused, and all of the things that really cause problems for them. So one of the things to ask, and you may already do this, as you come in contact with people is are you on any medications have you had any alcohol how often do you drink um, what are your medications what do your doctors tell you they're for because there are also a lot of off-label uses for medications very good question add anything about medications no, okay anything else any other questions from someone on the network in the room 
if you guys don't like, I actually have one for you. Okay. So you were talking in them just thinking about an actual case we have right now. Sure. But um, you were talking about PTSD, like a lot of people are looking online. You were saying it's self-diagnosing. Yes. If we run into someone that seems to be self-diagnosing, we don't want to, you know, say you're lying or it's BS. Definitely not. Who, who do we tell them to go seek treatment for or to get an actual diagnosis? That's a really good question, too. So um, this is certainly an issue within the VA. I don't know if you've heard about um, vet centers, which are sort of affiliated with the VA, but particularly after Vietnam, many veterans have a low opinion of the VA and don't want to go to the VA. So for veterans, you can uh, let them know about vet centers. And also something for you to know about vet centers, which I believe is truly um, out of the intention to be helpful, oftentimes, or I shouldn't say often, but sometimes they will give them a printout of every symptom and examples of what those symptoms look like, uh, which has pros and cons to it. So people want an explanation for the very real suffering that they're undergoing, and then they can also then rattle off every symptom and multiple examples of it to kind of obtain a diagnosis even from a mental health professional. Uh, so that happens in the veterans arena. I would say if there's a question and you're really working with somebody trying to get nailed down a diagnosis, the first thing, and this is one of the tips just for um, law enforcement in general, is be really mindful of your role. Okay, so you make a really good point. If you're trying to arrest somebody, get somebody into custody because they're going to jail and you're not going to see them again until next week when you have the same problem at their house, um, that's a very different goal than I would really like to help you get into treatment. So I would say arguing, you never want to argue with somebody about their symptoms or their diagnosis, even though it might seem like total BS to you, they're way off the wall, you don't want to argue. But if you're working with someone that you're generally trying to pinpoint what is an accurate picture, an accurate diagnosis of what's going on with this person, saying, hey, you know, there's, um, have you ever been to UNM? Or who have you talked to? Are you on the internet looking at symptoms and stuff? Because some sites are better than others. And sometimes it takes someone to help you, um, a professional or someone who might know a little bit more about it, help you really sort of pinpoint where your problems are and what that actually looks like. Because the other thing to think about is, um, you know, we can debate whether or not PTSD is curable, but it's certainly treatable and people can have a much, much better quality of life. So in that instance, I would say, you know, some of the resources that you all use, um, community mental health centers or just health centers in general, primary care doctors are now starting to get more familiar with um, mental health conditions, you can point them in that direction. If it's just, I'm trying to de-escalate this person to resolve this issue right here, then maybe you don't have to go so much into the nuances of the diagnosis or, you know, that's not a flashback. Let me tell you what a real flashback is or right. something like that. You don't have to do that at all. And it's like it's going to escalate the person. Okay. And certainly, you know, if you, most, or I should say a lot of departments or, or agencies have somebody um, like Niels or me or other folks that you can call and be like, hey, I have a question about this or, hey, can we put you in touch with Niels? Um, you can talk to you a little bit more about that. Um, so that would be another direction. I'm volunteering meals. Yes, yeah, I'm here. There's a bus. And he <laughs> okay, so how so like I know you're, you're going to get into a different block here, so I wanted to ask one thing just sure. about stigma stuff. Yes. So you, you're talking about with, with vets and how we, we view things on things like that. 
is PTSD actually higher in the vet population? There's some evidence yes and some evidence no. And just like most things with mental health and actually most things in life, the answer is it depends, right? It depends on how you define um, veterans. So are we looking at just anybody that served in the military ever, um, even if they were in boot camp for one week and dropped out? Or are we talking about combat vets with multiple deployments? Um, certainly one thing to keep in mind with the veteran population, but also other populations, is males who have undergone sexual assault. So it's one of the things um, that sort of can be thought of as a, a dirty little secret within the military, as there's pretty common knowledge that females in the military being a smaller percentage, although larger than ever before, the percentage of females in the military are more subject to or subject to sexual harassment, sexual assault, rape, things like that. And one thing to keep in mind, and this is certainly true of many of the veterans that I worked with, is that that also happens to males. Okay, so nine times out of ten, their perpetrators are other males. Uh, although it does happen where females um, use coercion, at times physical force uh, to sexually assault males, but by far it's males assaulting other males. Sometimes this happens in like hazing, um, initiation sort of things, and then sometimes it's just um, out and out rape or sexual assault. So as we think about race in uh, military versus civilian populations, it really still does depend how you define it, what subset of the population, and what subset of military veterans you're looking at. But if you can imagine, if you're a male in the military, or a male even outside of the military, a sexual assault, we see high rates of um, PTSD around that. More so in males who are sexually assaulted than females. Okay, you can sort of ponder why that might be. And I apologize, I think one's actually a question. Um, when you were talking about flashbacks and triggers, mm -hmm. it, are there different kinds of flashbacks? And is there any advice we can give family members when they're present and this stuff is going on that would help um and we don't want not wanting to put them in danger but we yeah. able to help the the person that's going through it um get through it. that's a, also two really good questions so the word flashback like so many of our words so depression ptsd flashback um all of those things have sort of what the um nerdy sort of medical clinical definition and then the common usage that people have so People call lots of things flashbacks that maybe wouldn't meet the textbook medical definition. But anytime someone's stuck in sort of reliving or particularly like in the example that I gave you about um, someone running off the road or something like that because they're in the throes of a flashback, um, generally, um, you know, again, depending on the situation, to out to try to reorient the person to the here and now. So when it's happened, um, I might have told you this just because we present so much together. Um, we had one time on our unit uh, a barbecue. And it was a really nice thing. We were out there by the grills. Somebody put a can of Pam, that Pam aerosol spray, next to the grill. And when you put aerosol <laughs> next to a, a heat source, uh, you get an explosion. And that's what happened. And this is one of those, like, it's so not funny that it's funny. 
So if you can imagine, you know, 35 veterans with PTSD at this barbecue and this explosion happens, um, unfortunately, it was very similar to sort of the stereotypical where some people literally hit the deck, some people started running, okay, and some people just went somewhere else, like completely dissociated or were having a flashback. And so we're all sort of like trying to get them back to the here and now. So generally, if someone's not hurting themselves, don't touch them until they can kind of come back. Um, no, and this is one of the keys in general when you're working with people that you suspect might have PTSD, is try as much as safety allows you to be predictable. Okay, so here we are, we're in Albuquerque, one of the vets that I worked with I'm going to call him Matt, since Matt's sitting there, you know, Matt, Matt, it's Nicole. We're at the VA. You're okay. You're okay. Matt, you're okay. Like, those sorts of things can be helpful. Um, for Matt, Matt's not I go okay. by Matt. <laughs> you know what? That's what I go by today, Matt. Matt. Um, so just the calmer you can keep yourself both as the professional and then also the family members, but you think about the types of families that you might see, particularly in law enforcement, oftentimes it's chaotic. <laughs> People aren't staying calm. Um, so the calmer you can keep yourself and reorient the person, um, you're safe, you're here, I'm not gonna hurt you, I'm not gonna touch you, sort of reinforcing safety will get you a long way with that and help the person kind of come back to where you are. Okay. And there was a question written in from Kevin Napoleon with APD, and he just asked about, well, or made kind of a statement about medications and dosages might need to be changed. And so if you are dealing with someone that might have been diagnosed years ago, is it, would it be or is it good advice? And things like that, because things have changed. Yeah, excellent, excellent question. And especially um, older folks or folks that were diagnosed as children, which happens more frequently, they might need an adjustment. And again, I want to remind you of just sort of an overall piece of advice of knowing what your role is and what your goal in the situation is. Um, so if you're working with someone, I would say absolutely that's a very reasonable recommendation of, hey, you know, you seem to still be struggling. I'm wondering if you can talk with your doctor about maybe adjusting these medications so that can be helpful to you. So here's just, again, an, an overall tip. You have to know yourself. You have to know the state you're in. And you have to know how people tend to respond to you. And here's normally when I ask people, how many of you know you have the face that makes people want to fight you? Like, as soon as they see you, they want to fight you. Like, you need to know if you have that kind of face, if you have that kind of attitude. Um, and you also need to know you can use um, yourself to your advantage. So saying something like, um, you know, wow, really sounds like you're still struggling. You've been on this medication for a long time. It might be helpful to you to talk to your doctor about adjusting. Maybe you need to go up a little. You're struggling, right? That's going to sound the way it sounds coming from me. But if you imagine, you know, if you tend to be more sarcastic, <laughs> if you're angry or frustrated, be like, you need to go up on your medication. You're, you're still acting crazy, right? Or you're really struggling. Like, you really need to know delivery is key, right? So practicing, knowing, just knowing what your tendencies are can also help you in that respect. Really good questions. Okay, so I think I'm, like, way over time, but... Um, so we'll do the last piece of this, which is some of which we're already talking about. So how do you pull all this together in a way that will be helpful to you? So one, we've already talked about. 
Um, recognize that PTSD, the syndrome and then symptoms associated with it, even if it's not full-blown, it impacts people and it's real. It's existed as long as people have existed, even though the terms have changed. It does impact functioning. Oftentimes, um, it's not present by itself. So people have substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, personality, <laughs> dysfunction, all on top or with PTSD. Chronic pain, physical injuries, and PTSD and depression often exacerbate pain, physical pain, make it much, much worse. So PTSD exists, and it may not exist by itself, folks that you're dealing with, and it may not be the driver of what's happening. But if we remember, you know, this is a, a syndrome that comes from a trauma. Something has happened that has overwhelmed the person. Either a singular event that they had no control over, or over time, the cumulative effect of trauma is happening to them. Okay, so the message of the world's a dangerous place. I have to always be responding to threat. I have to move on a threat before it gets me. Helplessness is unacceptable. Anger is okay, because I can be activated with anger. But fear, anxiety, helplessness, sadness, unacceptable. Okay, I cannot feel that way. So if you can emphasize a few things when you're working with folks. One is safety. So, you know, I'm Nicole, I'm here to help you. I don't want to hurt you. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. What's going on with you? What's going on with you today? Versus, you know, some of the more maybe aggressive. Although, just to make explicit, nothing that I'm saying should override what you need to do for your safety. Um, the nice thing about some of the de-escalation that I'm sure you all have talked about and that we're talking about today, it actually can increase your safety because someone's de-escalating and they're able to listen to your instructions much, much better than if you're keyed up and they're keyed up and it just keeps going from there. Okay, so this is a real thing. It impacts people. Emphasizing safety. Um, when Lawrence and I present, we always talk about the illusion of choice. So you're still in control, but you can give somebody choices within the limits that you've set. You know, if anybody's a parent, we do this all the time, right? Do you want the red pajamas or the blue pajamas? Not do you want to put on your pajamas, okay? Um, do you, uh, would you like to go to the hospital? Would you like me to drive you or would you like this other officer to drive you? Or um, I need to talk to you, I need to stop yelling. Would you like to sit here or do you want to sit on this side? Those sorts of things that give someone a sense of safety and control can go a long way. It's almost like magic. I've seen it happen okay, more than once. Um, you seen magic happen? I've seen magic happen where someone's like, ah, out of control, right? And just that the calmer you can be and use some of these things, the person is like, it's, it's, it's magic. Like, you want to sit here, you want to talk to him, you want to talk to me, but it's still within the parameters, the safety parameters that you set. We do the same thing at the hospital, right? You're setting the parameters, um, but giving that person some choice within that, okay? Um, know that nothing's personal to you, although there might be something about you that's a trigger. So I mentioned many of the vets that I worked with that have been sexually assaulted. A male in uniform can be very, very triggering for people, um, for men and women. Right. Um, so a larger male that's coming to exert, or even a smaller male, that's coming to exert some sort of power and force over them can be very triggering. So slowing down, giving the person some time, as safety allows, because sometimes safety does not allow that, for you need to go hands-on, 
can go a long way. I'm here to help you. I want to talk with you. Let's find out what's going on. Okay, please sit down. I'm here to help. Shorter sentences as the person's and very clear commands can also help. Now's not the time to be like, well, what's going on and what's your name? And just sort of coming at the person. It just escalates you and it escalates them and they're not going to be able to follow your instructions. Okay, and again, um, know yourself. So um, just the last part will be about taking care of yourself as law enforcement officers. Um, key is to put things in place before you need them. Know that you are subject to all of this, um, whether you work in the prison, whether you're out on the street, whether you're a detective, whatever it is, you're subject to all of this, right? You, you, it's your job <laughs> like to be involved. Also with healthcare workers and things like that, but certainly as first responders. So know that this will affect you. It does not mean you will develop PTSD. So hear that very, very clearly. It's not um, inevitable. But certainly, um, there'll be some effect on you that you can help mitigate. So um, are you healthy? Are you getting checkups? Are you eating? Do you drink water? <laughs> like those things that tend to um, go by the wayside can actually help you. Do you have somebody that you, do you have a plant that you care about or a dog? Something that you're connected with? If you don't, now is the time. <laughs> to put some of those things in place. So when you can talk to someone that's supportive, okay. Um, taking care of yourself as much as you can. Putting informal and formal supports in before you need them. It's not too late if you don't have that and you've already had a bunch of trauma, that's okay. There's resources, a lot of departments can point you in the right direction. There's community um, providers or support for people, um, those kinds of things. Use your leave. Hey, don't, don't ever not take leave, right? Like, I've worked two years straight without a day off, right? Um, in the law enforcement culture, that's often reinforced, but you need to take some days off and do mindless things and just take a little bit of break. Um, here's maybe two uh, of the most important things. Have some sort of language that you actually practice saying where you can offer help and where you can accept help. So, Matt, you don't seem like yourself lately. Are you okay? Right. Something as simple as that. Because oftentimes you will see a fellow officer struggling, and you don't know what to do about it. You know, the guy that used to be really good is now hands-on with the jaywalking old lady. You know, like slamming her on the ground or just sort of off. And you're noticing it, but you don't know what to do about it or what to say. So some language of how would I intervene if I saw somebody struggling? And then on the flip side, what if someone comes to me, even in an imperfect manner, and is like, you're acting like a real a-hole. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Right? To be able to say, man, I need to take a look. Maybe there's something wrong. Okay. Or maybe you're just an a-hole and leave me alone. <laughs> but... If you're getting feedback from others, sometimes it's verbal, like, hey, are you okay? Or, um, hey, what's wrong with you, <laughs> right? Other times, it's not verbal, but it's still feedback. When you go out into the hallway and suddenly everybody goes into an office and shuts their door, that's feedback for you. <laughs> Something's askew when no one wants to work with you. Or it's like you and your partner who's um, mean and crusty and everybody's like, oh no, here comes the two of them. And just mean to everybody, insults everybody all the time. You know, above and beyond sort of the normal 
insults and irritability that <laughs> reside in certain jobs, uh, that's also feedback for you. Um, if your family, if you're on your like fourth or fifth divorce, your kids not wanting to be around you, um, that's also feedback for you. So how do you ask for help and how do you accept help if you need it? And so I think probably um, any more questions or anything like that, but that is like the crashiest crash course <laughs> in PTSD. <laughs> no, that was great. And I want to make sure if anyone has questions, if uh, Kevin, if you want to write in, or if Sean or Wade, if you guys have questions, by all means, now's the time to ask. Greens. <laughs> uh, any questions in the room? Thanks. So thank you so oh, much. Oh, sure. Thank you for having me. I love that you're still acting, asking questions.